This is Susan Stamberg with Hearing Voices. Today we present WHER, 1,000 Beautiful Watts, the story of the first all-girl radio station in the nation. WHER went on the air in Memphis, Tennessee in 1955, tucked between the post-war boom and the rise of the women's movement in the 1970s. You're listening to Jane on your all-girl station. This is WHER, 1430 on your dial, the studios in the beautiful mid-city building, Memphis. WHER was the brainchild of record producer Sam Phillips, the founder of Sun Records, and the man who discovered Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Howlin' Wolf, and many others. When the story of WHER first ran on NPR's All Things Considered, the producers, the Kitchen Sisters, had found 14 of the 40-some women who worked at the station over its 17-year history. They also found the station's record library, thanks to WHER announcer Becky Phillips. The music you will hear in the next hour comes from the station's album collection, preserved by Miss Phillips for more than 40 years. Five more of WHER's disc jackets have turned up since this story first aired. Dot Fisher, one of the original station announcers, was driving home in Florida when she heard NPR introduce the WHER story. Dot pulled off the road, called member station WUSF in Tampa, and they put her on the air right then and there. We've added Dot's story and more to the expanding saga of WHER 1000 Beautiful Watts, produced by the Kitchen Sisters, Nikki Silva and Davian Nelson, with Valerie Velarde. On October 29, 1955, Memphis was introduced for the first time to a brand new idea in radio entertainment. The city's ninth radio station at that time was to have an all-girl announcing staff. This was definitely a first for Memphis, and not only for Memphis, but for the entire nation as well. We signed on October the 29th, 1955. You would have thought that we had invented a whole new means of communication. Good morning. This is WHER Radio, America's first all-girl radio station, Memphis, Tennessee. We cordially invite you to stay tuned to WHER Radio all day, every day. The thing was, nobody knew that we were going to be all-girl. Each girl thought she was going to be the only girl on the radio station. Dottie Abbott, who I hired as general manager, I told Dottie, and she almost shouted, I don't believe you, Sam. I know you're crazy, but you're not that crazy. You know, I mean, she was just beside herself. You were invading man's territory. I mean, you were supposed to be a guest or something if you're going to do anything as a woman on the radio. This is WHER Radio, America's first all-girl radio station for sparkling bright music. I'm Becky Phillips, and I was one of the original WHER girls. At the first, Dottie Abbott was experienced. Marion Keisker was experienced, and I had been in radio. The other girls were mostly new, like Barbara Gurley and uh, Bobby Stout and uh, Faye My wife, Becky, uh, that's how I met her in radio. We were both kids in high school. Worked part-time at a little station in Alabama, our hometown. I'm Sam Phillips, and I'd wanted a radio station all my life. Radio, to me, it's, it's a living thing. My name is Betty Berger. My career started in 1956 when I went to work for WHER. Sam's wife, Becky, has a beautiful radio voice. And I think Sam recognized that, thinking, well, what would that sound like? Women playing records and music and talking and saying commercials and doing the news. That's, that's different. There just weren't many women's voices back then. Maybe some other radio stations would have one woman who worked there. WREC's charming women's reporter, Kitty Kelly. 
we have with us in the studio one of the greatest living musicians, and I think one of the great musicians of all time, Mr. Sigmund Romberg. Good morning, Mr. Romberg. Uh, Kitty, you are flattered. Lily, I mean, you flatter me very much when you say I'm one of the greatest living composers. Of course I'm living. <laughs> I love to live. Wonderful. <laughs> if you would, uh, we'd like to know a little bit about uh, your outlook on music in this country. Tell me, did you ever explain to the listening audience that you have a wonderful smile, that you have blonde hair, that you have a red hat on now and everything? <laughs> no, I didn't. Why well, didn't you? <laughs> because I think the people that come to our microphone are much more interested and especially you. But I'm, wait a second, darling. I mean, I'm interested in you now. <laughs> the smile and the, and the twinkle in your eyes. Let me, Kitty, are you married? <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, now, wait a second. Tell me, Kitty, uh, I mean, how long are you in Memphis now? Oh, all my life. But if I may say so, if you want to talk about me, I'd like to tell you of a very important part that you and your music played in my life. Don't rush me, Kitty. <laughs> now, how long are you in Memphis? <laughs> well, Mr. Romberg, I've been here quite a long dance was being held in a garden I felt a bump and heard an oh beg your pardon suddenly I saw polka dots and moonbeams all around a pug nose tree in the meantime this is Kitty Kelly reminding you as always to be kind even to people Marion Keisker she had the most beautiful radio voice. It was like velvet. She did something called Kitty Kelly. I dreamed I was walking down the street in my slip. Well, turning from such items, we do want to introduce you now to two very charming studio guests. I'm Dot Fisher. I was with WHER from 1955 through 1957. I was there the day it opened. I was a graduate of Memphis State University looking for a job. And Marion Keisker interviewed me. Sam and Marion started Sun Records together. She worked there for him. I think Marion had a great deal of influence on Sam, and I think Sam had a great deal of influence on Marion. Sam did not like the way I sounded at all, but Marion did. I think she was listening for different personalities to put on the air so we wouldn't all sound exactly alike. I think when I went down there to work for WHER, there was one lady in Memphis who worked on the air and radio. And then all of a sudden, there we were, a whole handful of us. This is Janie Joplin. It seems like every job I ever had, I had earphones on. I started out when I was very young working at the phone company. I worked in a long line of ladies sitting in a high chair we would sit with a little plug in our hand and look for a red light, and when it came on, we'd plug in and say, Long Distance. My name at the time was Vita Jane Joplin, and Dottie said to me, Now, we've got to decide what to call you. We cannot have an announcer on the air called Vita Jane. Maybe it just sounded a little too old-fashioned, Vita Jane. Sounded a little too Southern, surely. You weren't supposed to sound really Southern. You just were not supposed to be drawling. You were supposed to talk radio talk. Pronounce all your I and G's and put the S's where the S's ought to be at the end of the word. I had to practice to be on the air. When I started on the air, I was Wanda Martin. I was hired to be a DJ. So I started studying for my third class engineering license. The FCC would send men here from Washington to give the test. So I walked in. There were about 50 men in this room, and they said, Wanda, what are you doing here? You'll never pass it. And I thought, they're probably right. I was so fearful. However, the night before, I said, Daddy, I have studied this, but it is totally foreign to me. I have been hired to do this radio show if I don't pass a test. And he said, honey, sit down. We'll make sure you pass that test. So he went through the whole book asking me questions. He said, you've got it aced. You know it. There's more to the job of girl announcer than what you hear from your radio. The girls pick their own music, run their own control board, plus looking after our remote control transmitter here at our studios. We have to take and log all transmitter readings every half hour, as well as keep a program log. It was this guy that I had read about in the paper who had started this unusual thing, never heard of before, an all-girl radio station. So I had an idea to do a shop for men only, a very uptown place where you could buy unusual things. You wouldn't have to go to New York. That was my idea in 56. I called Sam Phillips at Sun Recording Studios. I asked him for an appointment. He gave me one. Alfred and I, Barbara, Miss Tennessee for the Miss Universe contest. Barbara and I put on our 
hats and our modeling outfits as, as you looked in those days. Sam said that he didn't know anything about the retail business, but he would be glad to talk to me about coming to work for the radio station. And he would take me over to meet Dottie Abbott. He had this long blue convertible with the fish fins on the back that looked so big and long. So he had the top-down beautiful day, and we drove to WHER and introduced me to Dottie. I got the job. It was just like a fantasy world for me. Hello, this is Barbara Gurley with Spotlight on Glamour. I was one of the first girls at WHER. I have been in some beauty contests. I won Miss Shelby County and went on to Miss Tennessee from Miss University. Sam had heard my voice and liked it, and he had Dottie call me. And I said, well, I know nothing about working controls, but they had so much faith in each girl. They just put me right in there. I played some music, and I gave beauty tips, and I uh, was a receptionist, gave tours. It was a small station, 1,000 beautiful watts. We took people that had, just like I did with uh, Memphis Recording Service and later on Sun Records, that had no experience whatsoever. And you were in a big market at that time. Memphis, Tennessee was a big market even in the 50s. WHBQ Time Center News from Memphis, the Mid-South. Radio Memphis, WMPS, the station that gives you all the latest news on time online. Before I went to work for WHER, I worked for WDIA, which was the world's first black radio station. But I worked there as a copywriter. I was not an announcer. No white people as stars. They were all black. Bless my bones. Tell you something. Let me tell you about a biscuit baptizing. This is Donna Barlett. I remember in particular the flower ads, and I wrote the spots. You bake your biscuit with Martha White self-rising flour with hot rice. You baptize them in butter. Either you can sop your way on to the promised land after the baptizing. You got it? And the reason I went there is that I wanted to be on the air, and I knew I could never be on the air at DIA. Eleven minutes before eight o'clock. Tonight I know the kiss we share is sweet beyond compare. But will it stand the test? At present temperature in Memphis right now is 70 degrees under partly cloudy skies. This is WATR Radio in Memphis, the first station in the nation to feature... All-girl radio personalities, 1430 on your dial. Time changes mountains, time changes rivers, time changes winter to spring. Time changes everything, they say. But if the thrill we feel tonight is really, really right, You'll never take your hand from mine And our love will stand the test of time W-H-E-R, 1,000 beautiful watts Keyed to women Studios in beautiful Holiday Inn And 72 South 3rd Street Hello My name is Kimmons Wilson, and I'm founder of Holiday Inns in Memphis, Tennessee, my hometown. There's a boy named Sam Phillips. He's the guy that discovered Elvis and Johnny Cash and a half a dozen other real big stars. He came to me. He had heard that I was a guy that would take a chance on most anything. said, Kimmons, I got an idea. I want to build an all-girl radio station. So he told me he could get this station built and put on the air for $25,000. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the $25,000, and when we get on the air and I get all my money back, uh, you own half of it. I didn't have enough funds to build it and buy the equipment and everything without it encumbering some records. I sold Elvis and um, signed a contract in October of '55. And we went on the air October 29. We got a lot of pre-publicity out of that because it was an all-girl station. And we had sense enough to hire some good-looking girls. And I said, don't want to pay anything but love music. A man singing to a lady, a lady singing to a man. It cost me a lot, but there's one thing that I've got. 
Our studios were in the third Holiday Inn that was built in the world. I wanted to be in the Holiday Inn because it was just something about it. Such a real new concept. Kimmons Wilson, the man that really revolutionized the hotel motel world. And he said, by the way, I've got a place uh, that I think it'll just work real fine if you want to look at it. We put more radio into the smallest place. There was not one inch wasted. Well, it didn't have an inch to waste. My forte was space planning, which I called decor by Denise, interior design. I couldn't believe it. This little slot of a room, where we had a little tiny reception office, just itty-bitty. The sales room, my word of honor, was 42 inches wide. The little studio had a name. It was called the Doll Den. Oh, yes, the Doll Den. That was the one where the sales were. It was pink and purple in very delicate colors. It was decorated and painted like a dollhouse. Propaganda was the newsroom. Equipment. Equipment was bras and panties and... We had a little clothesline. They had all the little <laughs> unmentionables. Just something to make a little fun thing. And people come up and they say, oh. <laughs> the other stations thought we were nuts. You know, I mean, they didn't do anything even close to what we were doing. It wasn't anything but fun. That's what it was. But now, don't take me wrong. It was serious business, too. It was a great challenge to us, and we took it seriously. This is the Donna Barlett Show, welcoming you to another hour of easy listening music, wake up music, drive to work music, keep you company music, on the all-girl station. You say you got troubles, you say your problems are getting you down. I ain't gonna get those Sunday blues no We were lady disc jockeys, and we did an occasional newscast. I mean, you were queuing up a record with the right hand, and you were pushing the tape button with the left hand, and you were getting a remote to come over the telephone line. We'd go and do a remote, like the Mid-South Fair. We got a lot of attention, just because we were a bunch of women banded together. Because we were so new and different, people invited us to everything. We got invited to every party in town. Here's a Monday morning beauty offer you simply can't afford to turn down, girls. Music, glamour, homemaking, and news. WHER 1000 Beautiful Watts. 100% human hair wicklets for just $6.66. Dottie Abbott, she was the one that was really the heart of the radio station. She was our boss. Dottie Abbott drove convertible all the time, so did I. We would go to Nashville to the DJ conventions. We would be the most popular gals there. We were the only two. Dottie wore black dresses. She walked around all the time with a cigarette dangling in her lip. And ashes all down the front of her dresses. And she would put a cigarette between her teeth. And she would tell us, I want you girls to get out here now and sell some time. And she'd be straightening her blouse, and she had big boobs, and, and she would always be pulling at her girdle. Dottie Abba, she was a very career-oriented lady and did not have any children. I, Dottie never married. I don't know why she just never married. Some of us were married, and some weren't, and some were separated for a while. Are you a young woman without a job or a skill? Girls between 16 and 22 are training for careers in health, clerical and food service occupations. For most of the time that I was working at WHER, my husband and I were not living together. And I had a bunch of kids, three girls and two boys. And on Saturday, when I had to go in, I'd take them and I'd park them in the lobby and say, sit. I had to get up real early in the morning because I did the opening show. And the reason I did that was because I had school children. I wanted to be home when they were home from school. I would never uh, have gone to work had I not found a need that I really needed to go to work. Otherwise, I would have been content to stay at home. But I just uh, loved helping bring home the bacon.
My name is Rena Franklin, W-H-E-R, 1956 through 1958. Montevani came to Memphis. I remember interviewing Montevani. I've been trying to remember where did I hear about W-H-E-R that I called and asked for a job. I had been doing Romper Room. The show got canceled, and I was left without a job. You tried to get music that went with your time of day. Being record librarian, that was my job, was to listen to all the music. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, June Christie. People sent us rock and roll music, of course, and we would get rid of it. And when I did the jazz program, I used Dave Brubeck's Take Five. I think at that time, there certainly wasn't any other jazz program in Memphis. I didn't want anybody to think that we were building this radio station to promote Sun Records. Now, believe me, I love rock and roll. I loved it then, and I loved it now. But I knew the concept we had for this station, that we were not going to use any of my great rock and roll records. <laughs> this is how dedicated to the feel we wanted to get in that station. There was a dearth, an absolute dearth of, uh, of album music. There was so much good music on uh, the 12-inch LPs that was not being played, especially daytime radio. We were only a daytime station. Sun up to sundown. We couldn't play Sam's music. <laughs> he didn't want that kind of music on the old girl radio station. We played no um, hillbilly music or country music. The or... day I sold Elvis's contract, we signed the option papers. I went down. It was the only time that I played uh, Sun Record. Mystery Train. <laughs> I just had to be a part of it. I think at that time we were like two separate worlds. The W-H-E-R world, which was the world of smooth music, beautiful ballads. And then there was the world of Elvis, which was Sun Records, Sam, the beginning of rock and roll. Coming up on Hearing Voices, part two of WHER 1000 Beautiful Watts by the Kitchen Sisters. And we'd like to tell you about the Kitchen Sisters' latest NPR multimedia series called The Hidden World of Girls. Girls and the women they become. The sisters are gathering stories about coming-of-age rituals and rites of passage of women who've crossed a line, blazed a trail, and changed the tide. Call them up with your story, 202-408-9576, on the web, hiddenworldofgirls.org. This is Hearing Voices. This is Hearing Voices with Part 2 of WHER Memphis, the first all-girl radio station. Becky Phillips, she was the final word on what we played. She spent a lot of time listening to the new albums. She wasn't judging it for whether the song was any good or not. She was judging it for tempo and bad words. She'd say, says damn. That means, no, you cannot play this. And she would put a note on the song itself telling us what kind of tempo we would play. Fast, slow, medium. Fast, slow, medium. This is named the same way. W-H-E-R. 1960 through 62. I've always loved radio. I like that whole theater of the imagination. And of course, our voice was what we had to sell at that time. Even though I sound scratchy and full of smoke, at the time, I had a pretty voice. I played as close to classical jazz as I was allowed to. I put together a show that was based on that very specified format and tried occasionally to slip something in. Southern trees bear a strange fruit Blood on the leaves and blood at the root Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees Carmen McRae had this song 
strange fruit. Well, the first time I heard it, the hear in my head just stood up. So I played the song. I thought, wow, this is so good. I thought it was a song other people needed to hear. This is WHER Radio, America's first all-girl radio station, Memphis, Tennessee. Everybody had a favorite song. You could tell if somebody had had a fuss with their sweetheart or even with their husband by the music they played. Dottie Abbott had a show in the afternoon. Dottie was in love with love. She was a very melancholy lady. When she's playing her music, you would see tears in her eyes. Dottie was a lady who was way ahead of her time. She was a liberated woman before anybody knew about liberated women. Sam worked through Dottie. Dottie ran the station. And uh, so Dottie wanted to do everything for him, you know, and, and make him happy with the station. And so what we did wrong reflected on Dottie. Looking back 15 years ago, we see a group of young ladies delighted at the chance of being the first girls in the nation to run a man-sized radio station all by ourselves. A little scared, perhaps, but confident that the wonderful Memphis audience would accept us and welcome us into their homes, businesses, and automobiles by way of their radios and enjoy a new sound in radio listening. Miss Eunice Carruthers proudly announces the grand opening of her new shop, Eunice of Memphis, in Metro Shopping Plaza, 386 E.H. Crump Boulevard. Eunice of Memphis will feature the complete Paula Brooks line in women's clothes. It wasn't hard to sell WHER. It was all girl. We played pretty music. We had news on the hour. It was very professional. I'm Dean Duvall, the sales manager for WHER from 1962 until 1968. The spots were not expensive at all. Uh, it was extremely reasonable, like our salaries. The car wash people that had the first big automatic car wash was a good account. Johnny Arnold gave us the dog track. When the dogs would be running, they would name a race for us, WHER Race. And we'd, of course, go to the tracks and bet on our dogs. I'm Laura Jurgen. I was the second woman in radio advertising in Memphis. I thought I did a good job for Sam. I thought WHER just was outstanding, and I tried to make everybody else believe it, too, just by listening to me. <laughs> we went and had a remote at Hull Dobbs Ford, the world's largest uh, Ford dealer. They had to have policemen come, direct traffic at uh, the corner of Gale Soul and 3rd. They sold more units that day than they had, and, and Hull Dobbs Ford had been in business since the T-Model. Oh, that was so much fun. We had Daisy May outfits on, the polka dot blouses, and ragged black skirts, and we had little dots on our face, you know, like Daisy May. And we played the music from there. We had the controls that were set up. People would come by to see the girls on the air and look at the cars. I believe that was Laura Jurgen's idea. Denise actually had the idea of the remote, but I'm the one that sold it to the showroom down at Hull Dobbs. And I was standing out on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, who comes by but Elvis in his pink Cadillac. And so I waved to him and said, Elvis, come on in and let us interview you. So he parked the Cadillac in front of Hull Dobbs, where he was not supposed to be parking, and he came in and they interviewed him. Teresa and I bought these real pretty black long sleeve sweaters and had W-H-E-R in real pretty white letters embroidered on them, just right on the front. We wore little uh, black velvet cloche hats and black skirts and black shoes and black hose when we were working together. That was a lot of good advertising for Sam. When it first started out, it was more, uh, you know, on the little bit lighter side, more geared to the women. The look of loveliness, what makes a woman lovely? Her soft smile, her understanding way. Keeping your home and about children and beautiful music and relaxation and uh, fashions. The very light, fluffy things. Maybe you'll choose a poodle cut that never needs setting, or the natural bob. Or maybe you'll go modern with the shag or breeze cut. And then little by little, we'd add different things to it to kind of beef it up a little bit, you know. 
Good morning. This is Donna Barlett and the Monday Morning DB Show. It's 7.30 this morning, Paul Harvey Musing Commentary, followed by famous columnist Art Buckwall with his amusing comments. Right now, a serious note. There are six and one-half million alcoholics in the United States. Insurance companies will tell you that the lifespan... In 1965, we moved into the Mid-City Building. That time, it was the most glamorous, beautiful place. So very feminine. It was first class all the way. In the news station, I had the prettiest office in Memphis, Tennessee. Silk wallpaper, and it was so pretty, and I had white French furniture. Decor by Denise. Dean Duval, she was very famous for her hats, so I made it the head of Hopper sales office. The hat. That's kind of the way I was known around Memphis. And I worked with my maiden name, which was Duval. I kept changing husbands, so, you know, I had to have a name I could stick with. The lobby had a mirror about uh, eight feet tall. In the middle of it said, Beauty Reflected in Sound. WATR 1430. And we used that as sort of a theme. Doors and everything all had little whimsical things that had to do with women's little peccadillos. We built it where people could come into the lobby of the Mid-City Building and they could stand and watch all the girls broadcast. And you could just see so well the girls doing their thing and the speaker would be out there where they could hear them. Soft lights and of course the control room was glassed in. There was a big glass cage where we sat. This is W-H-E-R, 1430, on your dial, the studios in the beautiful Mid-City Building, Memphis. Dottie Abbott, now Holiday Inn's nighttime sweetheart, Dolly Holiday, was W-H-E-R's first manager. Dottie Abbott was the first woman that I'd ever known in an executive position like that. But she wanted to move on to do other things. And they hired a man to take her place. And I thought, an all-girl radio station really should have a woman as an executive. I'm sure it was very difficult to find women of the caliber of Dottie. I don't think there were very many in the South in those days that had both the experience that she had in radio and then also had the executive abilities. It was fascination, I know. Dottie Abbott was also Dolly Holiday, named after Holiday Inn. It might have ended right then at the start. She also sang. They played her songs. It was an album. It was put out by Holiday Inn, and they were playing to the truckers. She'd make them think that she was making love to them right over that radio line. At this time, it was probably 30 holiday inns around the country, and she'd say where they are and how great they were. It was fascination, I know. Kimmons Wilson, founder of Holiday Inns. I'm Nina Sally. I was on the air at WHER 65, 66. Dottie called me and asked me if I wanted to go to work. She, she said, when can you start? And I said, well, how much do you pay? It was such a little, I said, Dottie, I can't work for that. I can't pay a babysitter. I would come out in the hole. So I just turned it down. And that stuck in her mind. Uh, A couple of years later, she called and said that she had changed her name to Dolly Holiday. And she was doing this all-night show. And and she said, I need a good copyright. But she said, I'll pay the same thing as the the girls at WGR, but you won't have to pay a babysitter. And I'd pick up a batch of stuff and then take it home, write all the copy, and... A couple of years of that, my daughter started to school, and I thought, I want to get out of the house and be with adults, and I want to sit home and write by myself. By that time, Charlie Sullivan had taken over as manager of WHER, so I decided I'm going to go and talk to Charlie, because then I figured, well, I could work there for peanuts because I didn't have to pay a babysitter anymore. Mr. Charlie Sullivan, the general manager of WHER, is the man in the life of all the WHER girls. He handles his eight-girl announcing staff beautifully. The girls, for the most part, are really sweet, cooperative, and hard workers, of course. Like all performers, uh, some of the girls have their temperamental moments, but they wouldn't be good air personalities if they didn't try for perfection, which most of them do achieve. Our WHER disc jockets, as we like to call them, are in constant demand to make personal appearances, such as being mistresses of ceremonies, judging contests... I remember writing an ostrich once in some sort of promotion. I forgot what was happening, a speedway or something. I didn't win. You can't drive an ostrich. It's just, uh, you sort of <laughs> hold on. Then there's the natural happenstance of the married girls getting in a family way, a problem which you don't run into in most all-male stations. 
If you'll just pardon the pun, the W.H.E.R. girls really shape up the station. W.H.E.R. was so successful that I applied and finally got in 1959 a construction permit from the FCC to build a station in West Palm Beach, Florida, and we put W-L-I-Z, Liz, on down there in 1959. Second all-girl station. And it was a sensation. Nine minutes before, no, 11 minutes before 8 o'clock. Sometimes we do remote broadcasts, like we always broadcast the uh, golf matches. Stand by for another golf report from Peggy Sternberger, coming up in a moment. Peggy Sternberg was a well-known woman's golfer, and she was a really good commentator. And, of course, that was something, I don't know why, it seemed womanly. So we could get big sponsors for the golf matches. At this point now, in the 36th hole of the Westchester Classic, is Larry Henson. Peggy was one of the real pioneers in women sportscasting. She would cover all the major tournaments, the only woman who was covering all the major tournaments. So she was a groundbreaker, and eventually, uh, from WHER, she went ahead and did some stuff for CBS for golf. And good afternoon to you. My name is Marge Thrasher, and I'm your listener and moderator. From now until 2 o'clock, as WHER Radio turns our microphones over to you, the listeners. Charlie Sullivan called me to do this talk show. He said, Meg, I got just the thing for you. You don't want to stay home with those kids anymore. Anyway, I went on the air and had never heard a talk show. Nobody had talk radio. KDKA in Pittsburgh. And that was it. As far as I know, it was called Open Mic. You were on the air in a big glassed-in window, and everybody in town was listening. Before we talk to our guests, we would like to review our rules and regulations for Open Mic. Open Mic is operated with a seven-second delay in case we do need to delete portions of conversation or comments. See, nobody knew what to do with talk radio, especially me. I mean, I never even heard a show. I said, Charlie, what makes you think somebody's going to call? And he said, no, no, they'll call. Are you there? Can you hear? Oh, and I'm not getting any conversation. Yellow? Can you push the last button all the way down? Yellow? That's it. That puts you in contact with us. I remember I used to put the mayor on, Henry Loeb, maybe once every two weeks. And anybody could call him. He loved it. to establish the camp. We are uh, sponsoring the premiere of The Godfather in Memphis. Oh! On March the 23rd. And uh, we would be happy to uh, sell tickets to anyone. This is Ray Sherman, United Press International in Memphis. 1,000 striking sanitation workers marched on Memphis City Hall this afternoon and demanded Mayor Henry Loeb hear their grievances. I urge you to go to work. I promise you that we're working on a raise and have been before this. Dr. Martin Luther King has urged the Memphis Negro community to engage in a general work stoppage. I'm Jane Rodak, WHER. There was a garbage strike. Tempers were running high. People that weren't involved in it were angry that we were having all this garbage all over and nobody was collecting the garbage. Garbage workers trying to get fair compensation. It was just a very volatile time. Tomorrow, the strike moves into the third day, and the mayor is expected to take emergency action. All neighbors You are reminding the nation that it is a crime for people to live in this rich nation and receive starvation wages. King promised to return to Memphis Friday to lead a general work stoppage. Memphis had this story about itself that everything was separate, but it was equal. And when that spotlight got turned on the segregated city that Memphis was, it was obvious it wasn't equal at all. Pilot said over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay, but we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane, and to be sure that nothing would be wrong on the plane, and we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. Then I got into Memphis, 
and some began to say the threats, or talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. I remember standing at the news machine and watching the news tap out that Martin Luther King had just been shot. Like anybody, I would like to live. Marge was on the air, and I took her the paper, and I could not talk and tell her what I had in my hands. I couldn't talk. He was killed in the late afternoon. I was on the air. And they chose open mic because of a big listening audience to pay respects. I can remember reading the prepared statement. Then played a Mahalia Jackson hymn. And then I said, now we'll take calls. I said, good afternoon. This is open mic. And it was a lady. And she said, are you a nigger or a nigger lover? and hung up the phone. I thought, what? I was stunned. Charlie Sullivan was stunned. We had nothing on the air. I mean, this is dead silence. And I got up and walked out. The police department and They attempted to turn one of the squad cars over. On the way home, I saw people standing on the corner with shotguns. I'd never seen it before. The place was used. We were downtown Midtown, W-H-E-R, and there was a curfew in the city. They didn't want you driving, so they put me up at the Holiday Inn across the street from the studio. And I remember looking out at my window and seeing tanks driving down Union Avenue. If you're listening to Jane on your all-girl station, six minutes before one o'clock. And know that I love People started burning things and throwing things and marches were happening and marches had been happening you know peaceful you know demonstration marches but these were angry marches and charlie would give us our little tape recorder and say they're going to have a march on bill street this afternoon will you go and get a news report and of course we all wanted to go we were on the air when people were calling to get interviews you know to find out what was going on of course they chose us last because we didn't have any guys you know it was all women we were not known to be sharp broadcasters. We were lady disc jockeys. But even our station started having calls from all over the world. I'll never forget being on the air and some station in Australia calling me and wanting a report at that moment. So I ad-libbed a report. After that happened, we had a daily topic because Charlie felt like it was risky to let people call up and vent their hatred from both sides blacks and whites. We're talking about schools and education. Hope you can stay with us until 2 o'clock here on WHER. What I was wondering was in a way that the black people could participate in your program. Oh, yes, ma'am. We have many, many black people that participate in our program at this time. People who have a handicap. The talk show was something that made a difference in this town. In the meantime, all around the talk show, we were still playing Ray Connors. There were little dollops of uh, political awareness wedged in between that. And now the latest WHER worldwide and local news. The North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong have made their boldest strike of the Cambodian War. The Phnom Penh Airport today is in a scene of chaos and devastation. This has been the latest WHER worldwide and local news. Joan Medley reporting. Paul Harvey News and Commentary coming up next. That present temperature in Memphis right now is 70 degrees under partly cloudy skies. Today's news and comment comes to you from Chicago. Fugitive Timothy Leary in Algeria with some Black Panthers says he's going to sneak back into the United States next Tuesday. Don't bet on it. Page two. Birthday in the family. W-H-E-R, Memphis, Tennessee, 15 years today. You know what W-H-E-R stands for? H-E-R is for her. (laughs) It's an all-girl radio station, except for manager Charlie Sullivan and me. All those 15 years, girl announcers only. 
at WHER in Memphis. Washington, D.C.'s National Press Club has voted no women. Members have voted to continue to keep women journalists out of our National Press Club. My Washington colleagues are always most liberal when it comes to how other people should integrate. Paul Harvey. Good day. Jackie Kelly, WHER from 67 to about 69. The president of the local chapter of National Organization for Women was Marion Kysker McGinnis, who had worked on the station. She called me up one day and gave me a lot of trouble because the public service announcement started out, Mr. Employer. And see, I didn't think anything about that at that time because Mr. Employer was pretty much what was out there. Looking back to the beginning of WHER, we think of the original WHER staff. Marion Keisker was the first voice ever heard over WHER. And since that time, Marion has served as an information officer in the United States Air Force, from which she recently retired as a major. We talked with Marion about those early times. I remember particularly the immense curiosity that preceded the opening of the station as to what kind of station it was going to be. And then the complete astonishment when it was revealed that it was going to be an all-girls station. Sometimes I think if it had been announced that the station was going to be run by chimpanzees, there wouldn't have been as much amazement as there was that it was actually going to be run by women. Do you have an interest in radio or television broadcasting? If you have a normal voice and a genuine interest in becoming a professional broadcast announcer, disc jockey, newscaster, or sportscaster, Elkins Institute can help you meet qualifications for a productive and exciting career in the broadcasting industry. I think they figured the novelty was going to wear off. America's first all-girls station was interesting when there were no women in broadcasting, but there were beginning to be women in broadcasting. Um, plus, we were playing music that the demographics didn't support. They were supporting a younger sound. W. H. E. R. Everything changed. There were suddenly men at the station. They paired me with a gentleman named Dick Potter, and I played the fool, and, and he was the intellectual one. All right, you ready? Uh-huh. Uh, this is for elephant stew. Oh, come on, Dick. I thought you were serious. Now, first you... Find your elephant. As the women's movement came on and got strong and everything, W-H-E-R, they changed the call letters, put men on the air. I thought, well, isn't it strange? Here we are, women doing it, have been. Now they're going, there's no more of that. And then they called it We Radio, W-W-E-E. The uh, mirrors came off, the little lipsticks came off, the pink was painted to a different color. I'm Sylvia. I was the engineer for Dick and Jane. I never thought of working at WHER as being something historical. Yes, it was the first all-girl radio station. Yeah, I made a little history. I was the first African-American woman to work there. But you never think you're part of history. We have a little bit of history today because Sam had a dream, and he was able to take that dream and make something out of it. I think all of your innovators today are the same way. They have dreams. They have ideas. They seem impossible to everybody else. But for those people... They go right ahead with it and look where we are today because of dreamers. I'm thinking back, did I ever meet Sam the whole time I worked there? Sam Phillips was always the great mystery man. He was always listening to the station. He might not have been there, but he knew what was going on. One Christmas he gave us all, I guess, our first electric razors, and we loved those. They didn't work too good in the beginning, but we were tickled to death to get them. There was a man out there who thought women could talk on radio and be accepted and could be very good at it. And the man was Sam Phillips. It was the beginning of many openings for women in broadcasting, where women were not accepted before. This is Becky Phillips speaking for WHER owners, Mr. Sam Phillips and Mr. Kimmons Wilson. There's something about your voice out of the night, out of the light, out of the sky, out of the ground, here comes your voice. There was just something special in the air when WHER was on the air. And there was something special about being inside of that radio station, too, when it was taking place. I mean, and it was not, I'm, I'm telling you, it was not a novelty 
very long. It was a novel idea. I mean, you know, WHER was an embryo of the egg because there wasn't anything else like it in the world. This is WHER Radio, America's first all-girl radio station, Memphis, Tennessee. Stay tuned to WHER Radio all day, every day, for sparkling bright music, the latest worldwide news, and up-to-the-minute local and regional news from the WHER News Department. WHER, 1,000 Beautiful Watts was produced by the Kitchen Sisters, Nikki Silva and Davia Nelson, with Valerie Velarde. It was mixed by Jim McKee at Earwax Productions in San Francisco. 1000 Beautiful Watts was produced with help from Knox Phillips and the Sam Phillips family, Sandra Wong, Lori Folger, Mark Bell, James Lott, Roland Janes, and NPR member stations WKNO Memphis and WUSF Tampa. Special thanks to Sun Studios, the Marvin Benzman Collection, and of course, the women of WHER. I'm Susan Stamberg. WHER 1000 Beautiful Watts aired on Hearing Voices courtesy of the Kitchen Sisters. And we'd like to tell you about the Kitchen Sisters' latest NPR multimedia series called The Hidden World of Girls. Girls and the women they become. The sisters are gathering stories about coming-of-age rituals and rites of passage of women who've crossed a line, blazed a trail, and changed the tide. Call them up with your story, 202-408-9576. On the web, hiddenworldofgirls.org. This is Hearing Voices.